The Bible is about holy things. Holy things. The Bible concerns itself with holy things. Your best life now is founded by good things. Secular things, worldly things, if you will. You must work hard to have a good life. A good family financial planner. You should seek a good financial planner, good health care providers, family, friends, and so on. Be wise and seek these things. But these are not holy things. The Bible does holy things. If you miss the truth that the Bible is about holy things, you will miss the meaning of the text, you will miss the meaning of the Bible, and your religion will fall into a moralistic, therapeutic deism. For example, in the beginning, the beginning of the Bible, what's the beginning of the Bible about? What is it about in the beginning? Creation, six days, origin of species, okay? If you focus on these things too much, then the beginning will become about science, and you'll miss the meaning of the text. The height of creation is its focus, holy things. Day seven in sacred time, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. You see, the opening of Genesis leads us to the very first thing in all of creation that God hallowed. He hallowed a moment, a moment in time. God first made a moment holy, a little while with God that we might have him forever. But Adam profaned time itself, profaned the holy day. Rather than being with God, he hid himself from God. Creation fell, now it groans and longs to be made holy again. But secular things do not help here. Secular things do not help here. Christianity is useful. But if you seek Christianity because it's useful, then it's not Christianity. Let me say that again. Christianity is useful, but if you seek Christianity because it's useful, then it's not Christianity. Christianity will make your marriage better. But if you seek and accept Christianity to have a better marriage, then what you seek is not Christianity. Christianity heals, but it is not therapy. Christianity will make our nation better. But if you accept Christianity to have a Christian nation, you no longer have Christianity. You see, the kingdom of God concerns itself with holy things. And holy things will accomplish many useful things. But if we confuse holy things with good things, then we will profane the holy and lose it all. And holy things are where we find ourselves in 2 Kings. 
In 2 Kings 12, Judah now has a child king, a seven-year-old. Chapter 11, verse 21. Now Jehoash was seven, year old, seven years old when he began to reign. Judah has a child king because the last king profaned the kingdom and was, was purified. Therefore, he died early. And so his son took the throne at an early age, earlier than expected. So a child was anointed king, young, but he had a good long reign. Verse 1, in the seventh year of Jehu, Johash began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. 40-year long reign, around the 6th, 7th century B.C. He began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibia Erf Beersheba. And he had a good reign. And he had a good reign because he had a good spiritual father. Verse 2, and Jehoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days. He had a good reign. Jehoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days. He had a good reign. He reigned well in the eyes of the Lord. A good reign. Good reign because, verse 2, Jehoadai, the priest, instructed him. He had a good reign because he had a surrogate father, a surrogate father that came and stepped up in the place of his serpent king father who was executed by God, purified by God. And Jehoadai stepped in and, and instructed the young man in the ways that he should go. The, the verb to instruct, the root word in Hebrew of the word instruct is the word Torah. He was Torahed. He was led by God's word, which is why he did right in the eyes of the Lord. You got to see that. He was led by God's word, which is how, which is how he did right in the eyes of the Lord. Natural law, secular things, is a source of right living. Seek it. Be wise. Do well. But holy living, holy living comes by the holy word. And the word's holiness comes by its source. It's God's breath. And God's word is holy not because of its source, but because of its subject. The subject of the word is Jesus Christ. And that's how the word makes holy. That's how the word is holy. That's how it makes holy. And so Joash had a good reign, a good reign. But we see verse 3, but not a perfect reign. He had a good reign. He did right in the eyes of the Lord, but not perfect. Verse 3, nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. The people continued to sacrifice and make offerings and made offerings uh, in, on the high places. You must recognize that Torah and the Bible explains that Israel cannot worship on high places. Israel is to worship one way, in Jerusalem, in the temple. No other ways. It was forbidden to worship anywhere else. The high places were, were Judah's way of worshiping Yahweh, but not as he commanded. They were worshiping Yahweh. They were making sacrifices on high places to Yahweh. But it was a foreign practice, foreign to Scripture. And worship that is foreign to Scripture is just as bad as worshiping a foreign deity. We don't do foreign, holy things. Not foreign things, holy, God's word things. See, just because you put Yahweh's name on it, because that's what they were doing in the high places, they were just putting Yahweh's name on it, 
Just because you put Yahweh's name on it or Jesus' name on it doesn't mean it's holy. Holiness comes by obedience to the Holy Word. Because the Holy Word is the only thing that does holy things. You want to do holy things, worship God, reverence and awe, you need the Holy Word. Holy Word alone does holy things. So he had a good reign. He did right in the eyes of the Lord. It wasn't perfect. There were high places. He didn't take them away. He didn't take away the high places. Now, there's a contrastive but in this story that divides Jonah's story into two sections. The first section we'll see is is verses 4 through 16. Verses 4 through 16 is one section of this story. It's the he did right in the eyes of the Lord section. So verses 4 through 16 is Joash, Jehoiada, or yeah, Joash, Jehoash. He he's also goes by Joash. I like Joash. I prefer Joash. I'm going with Joash. So Joash did right before the eyes of the Lord, verses 4 through 16. The second section, verses 17 through 21, but it wasn't perfect. So we have two sections here. He did right in the eyes of the Lord, but it wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. And so the story begins with him doing right in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 4, Joash said to the priest, all the money of the holy things that is brought into the house of the Lord, all the money that you get, all the tithe, take that tithe that God's people are giving to God's house and repair God's house. Repair. That verb repair is an important word. It appears seven times in this story. Over and over again, he just he, the narrator writes, repair, repair, repair. And it highlights the treatment that the priests had given to God's house. They had not treated God's house well. It needed lots of repair. God's house had been neglected. Holy things had been neglected. Holy things neglected. Verse 6. And by the 23rd year, and it took a long time, 23rd year, the priest still made no repairs. 23 years later, nothing. He said, you know, as a, as a young king, repair the house. Seven-year-old, I hear a seven-year-old, God's word says repair house, right here, do this. Yeah. 23 years later, you haven't made any repairs. <coughs> Temple's now 100 years old, it's over 100 years old, it needs a TLC, it needs some TLC. But the priest didn't care. Therefore, verse 7, King Jehoash summoned Jehoadai the priest and the other priest and said to him, why are you not repairing the house? Don't take any more. Now, therefore, do not take any more money from your people and repair the house with the money you've received. The priesthoods, we see they only cared about their bankroll. They just wanted the money because they got the money. Verse 8, so the priest agreed that they, shake, that they should take no more money. Good, they're not going to shake down their people anymore. That's good. We like that. And that they should not repair the house of the Lord. So they're not going to take any more money. That's good. But they're not going to repair the house of the Lord. They didn't care about God's house. They, they don't care about the holy things of the Lord. That's kind of the point of the text. If you look at verse 4, you really want to highlight that phrase, holy things, in the text. That's an important, that's an important phrase in the text. Verse 4, holy things. Go ahead and underline, highlight holy things. Now, holy things divides these two sections that I talked about previously. 
Both sections are, thematized, are, are, are divided by the, the phrase holy things. If you look in verse 17, you can underline the two verses, or excuse me, verses 18 and verse, yeah, verses 18 has two phrases, sacred gifts. If you look at verse 18, Joash, king of Judah, took all the sacred gifts. Sacred gifts, it's the same Hebrew word as holy things. It's translated differently. It means the same thing. Sacred gifts, holy things, holy, they're holy, they're holy things. Two sets of holy things. And the king, as we're going to see in this section, he does right with the holy things. He's going to take the holy things. He's going to do right with the holy things. In the second section, he profanes the holy things. He did right in the eyes of the Lord. But he wasn't perfect. And holiness requires perfection. And without perfection before a holy God, there is purification. God must have holy. Now the priest didn't want to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, so the priest, Jehoadai, had to step in. That's verse 9. Then Jehoadai, the priest, took a chest, bored a hole in the lid, put it beside the altar so that they could see it. And the reason they got a hole is they don't trust what's going on in this priesthood. <laughs> There's some mistrust. Put a hole so we can see the money. We can see how much money's in there. Once the money fills up, we take the money and we give it to the workers. So they collected money. And not only did they put a hole in it because they didn't trust, but Joash also put guards around it. Verse 10 or verse 9 says, And the priest who guarded the threshold put in all the money that was brought in the house of the Lord. Verse 10, And whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest, the king's secretary and the high priests, they came in bag and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. So they had some security because there's some mistrust. There's some greedy priests. They don't care about the things of the Lord. Mistrust. So initially, Joash wanted the priests to do what was right, but they were incompetent, they're careless, they're a little greedy. So he has to take control of the project. So he takes control of the project, takes the money, verse 11, and they give the money that was weighted in the hands of the workmen. So they give this money to these men, right? They give it to carpenters and builders and masons and stonecutters. They bought timber. They quarried stone for making all these repairs. In verse 14, but, and it was given to the workmen. Verse 14, all this money was given to the workmen for repairing the house of the Lord with it. Verse 15, they did not ask an accounting from the men. They did not ask an accounting from the men in whose hand they delivered the money to pay out the workmen. For the workmen, they dealt honestly. So Joash, the whole point is Joash is repairing the temple. Joash is getting it done. He did right in the eyes of the Lord. And not requiring a supervisory account because they dealt honestly is not an accusation against Joash's leadership. It's just an affirmation that he did, that he did a good job. He was quick about it. He got, he, he got this thing going. He got the project up and running. He got the project up and running, and it was done well. He was faithful with holy things, and he worked holiness. Excuse me. He was faithful with holy things, and he worked holiness. He did right in the eyes of the Lord. But verse 17, he's not perfect. Now at that time, Hazael, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. But when Hazael set his face to go up against Jerusalem, but when Hazael set his face to go up to Jerusalem. So he takes Gath, which is a coastal 
region. He takes the coastal region, which really spelled, basically he, he limits Israel's ability. That was where they all traveled. So he limits Israel's ability for travel. He limits their um, ability to make trade and military routes. It really meant war. By taking Gath, it meant I'm coming for you. I'm coming, Judah. And Judah knows it meant war. And Hazel meant to attack Judah. But then in verse 17, we have a misplaced contrastive. But, but when Hazel set his face to go up against Jerusalem, now we have a second set of holy things. Verse 18. So Hazel's on the face of attacking, he's on the border of attacking Jerusalem. He's going to, but Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred gifts. All the sacred gifts that Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, Hosea, his father, the kings of Judah, that they dedicated to the house, and his own sacred gifts, and all the gold that was found in the treasury of the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and they sent all these to Hazel, the king of Syria. Then Hazel went away from Jerusalem. Whew. So here we have a second set of holy things. And, and they secured Israel from attack. Now notice in the text, work backwards, or well, notice in the text where, where the sacred things, who they belong to. We, we see that the sacred things, where were they? They were in the house of the Lord. They belong to the Lord. They're sacred. Where did they come from? They came from the Lord's people. They were the gifts and the treasures from the Lord's people to the Lord. And then notice where they go to. To the offspring of the serpent. They went from the Lord's house, from God's people to the Lord's house, where they belong, to the offspring of the serpent. This is unholy. But it worked. Right? What else is a man to do? What else was he to do? It worked. We do what works. That's what we do in American. In American religion, we do what works. We don't really care about the holy. We just we don't really focus on holy. We let's do what works. Because Christianity is useful. It entertains. Do entertainment. Do prosperity. Do politics. Do morality. Do therapy. And the church growth gurus will smile upon you as you attract the masses. But the problem with man-made religion is that it, is only, it only works on the outside. Man-made religion doesn't make holy. It appears that way, but it just appears that way. It's sincere, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> Sincerity doesn't matter when it comes to holiness. It is profanity. And God is a consuming fire. So we read verse 19. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? His servants arose, made conspiracy, struck him down. Verse 21. So he died. The end. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but he wasn't perfect. And he's purified, just like the serpent kings. Joash, his reign ended with conspiracy and death. He was cleansed from the throne. He was judged and condemned by Yahweh. But what was he to do? He saved them. What else should he have done? What, could he have done anything else? <laughs> It worked. What else could he have done? He could have done holy things. He should have done 
holy thing. There's actually an easy solution to the king of Syria wanting to attack Israel. And the solution is right in the text. It's so easy to see that the narrator puts it right in the very beginning of the story. But the high places remained in the land. He knows Torah. He knows what Torah warns. Torah warns false worship will result in foreign aggression. He knew what to do with the holy things in the first section because God's word talks about repairs, making repairs, treating the holy things with reverence and awe. He was instructed the way that he should go. He was instructed in Torah. He went there. He repaired the temple. He did right in the eyes of the Lord with holy things. But as king of Judah, he was also required to protect holy things. To put his trust in Yahweh, to do holy things, trusting that Yahweh will provide. All he had to do was work holiness and God would have protected and provided. All God wanted in this story, all God wants in the Bible, all that God wanted in the story, and what God requires of us, you Christians, is this, acceptable worship. Do what the Bible says. It's easy. He had the Bible, just do it. Now the rest of Kings, we're going to go through chapter by chapter, and what we're going to see in the rest of Kings is we're going to see either a king did evil in the sight of the Lord or we're going to see that a king did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and then we're always going to hear this little parenthetical but the high places remained he did evil in the sight of the Lord the high places remained this king did right in the eyes of the Lord nevertheless the high places remained until we get to uh, chapter 18 in Hezekiah Hezekiah finally oh, removes the high places Josiah then purifies Israel more but little too late and not only little too late Hezekiah and Josiah are not perfect. They did right in the eyes of the Lord, but they weren't perfect. And eventually God will purify the land. 586 B.C., he purified the land of Judah. They went into exile in Babylonia. So by now in 2 Kings... All we've been seeing is king after king. And it's just been really an idolater after idolater. Really, it's kind of been depressing. You go through Second Kings, it's really depressing. It's just one idolater after the next. And so by now in Second Kings chapter 12, one is left to wonder whether such a king will ever come to clean the house of the Lord perfectly. Some are better than others. But in the end, none are perfect. Will Israel ever receive a perfectly righteous and holy king? That's what we're left to wonder in the text. Will Israel ever receive a perfectly righteous king? And Jesus said, be holy as I am holy. Now many Christians look at that phrase, be holy, that verse, be holy as I am holy, so many Christians, I used to be one of them, would look at that phrase and think to themselves, I'll try harder next time. <laughs> Christians look at that, be holy for I am holy, and they think, I got to do better next time. <clears throat> it's because they've been taught to think that 
Christianity is useful. If you accept Christianity because it's useful, when you look at this phrase, be holy, this verse, be holy as I am holy, if you accept Christianity because it's useful, then you focus on the be holy. But if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the I am holy is what pops out to you. When you look at that verse, you think, he is holy. I'm not. He just told me. Be holy. That's Jesus' way of saying, you're not. I am holy. And you're supposed to walk away from that verse, seeing what it's all about. And you begin to see what all the scripture is about. You see that Jesus is the answer. He answers Israel's failure. He's the true son of David. He's the real Israel. He's the last Adam. He's the better Joash. Jaosh. Joash, however how you pronounce it. Don't go by the, pure, the pronounce, how I pronounce the, these Old Testament names. <laughs> He's the better Joash who purified God's house with his precious blood. You see, Christ always did right with holy things, right? What did Christ do to the temple when he was on earth? He purified it, right? He took a whip, a quart of whip, and he, he chased out the money changers, the greedy priests. He cleansed the house of the Lord and he repaired it. Made it a house of God again. And then when Jesus faced the threats of death, not the king of Syria, but Pilate, in the garden of Gethsemane, and knowing the pain, he had some fear. There's fear in the text. Nevertheless, Christ answered for us, not my will, O Lord, but thine be done. He's perfect. He was perfect that he might be our spotless lamb. He was perfect that his blood might cleanse away all our impurity. Christ has made the unholy holy because he is holy. I am holy. So the commandment of life in the Bible given to Adam, perfect obedience. He failed and the world was lost. But God put that command to a nation. He put that command to a nation, Israel. Then over time, he worked that command through a nation, then through one tribe, Judah. Then that command worked through one tribe into one house, the house of David, and finally ended in one offspring. Not many offsprings. For the command to Abraham was not many offsprings, one offspring. Christ, God's well-beloved Son. You see, all of Scripture from beginning to end is a beautiful mosaic of Jesus Christ. He worked it down to the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who earned that sacred moment with God and now freely gives it to us. Time to spend with God, holy time. And now from Christ, the Holy Spirit works that rest into the lives of his people, expanding his grace to a holy nation, the Israel of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, which we simply confess every Lord's Day as one holy Catholic church. Or in the evening, we confess it's one holy apostolic Catholic church. 
You see, the Bible does holy things. Not just our justification, our sanctification. Listen to Hebrews 12. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastens every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Christians suffer because God does holy things. Yet our suffering is not like the world. Our suffering is holy. Our suffering is good. And our suffering is for our good. First Peter. Peter writes, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Test by fire, we are holy. And we are becoming more and more holy by the word of God. So if you still need a New Year's resolution for 2024, I got one for you today. Count it all joy to suffer. Count it all joy to suffer because it means God loves you. And it means you are holy. Amen. Let us pray. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.